James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he received the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one another against, uh, excuse me, one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful or full of pity and of tender mercies. Focus with me now, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. Today my title is, Are You Right? For revival. Thank you, and you can be seated in God's presence this morning. By the time I get through preaching this sermon, you will completely, hopefully and prayerfully, you'll completely understand my title. The Bible teaches us, first of all, to be patient. That means to be long-spirited, to suffer long. That it requires endurance to wait on the Lord. It says, wait therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. In other words, until the Lord shows up, practice patience. Amen? Uh, y'all remember when you were kids and, and it was Christmas time and uh, hopefully most of you had a Christmas. Some of you may not have. And for those that didn't, I apologize uh, I don't mean to make anybody feel excluded from this conversation, but I remember when I was a boy and uh, it was Christmas time, uh, there were times that we just couldn't wait till Christmas morning to open our presents. In fact, it was so bad that when we go to Grandpa's house, he'd cave under pressure and he'd just wait till midnight of Christmas Eve and then when it turned 12.01, we could open our presents. Uh, we couldn't even go to sleep and then wake up the next morning, Amen. Uh, and a lot of times when we're waiting on the Lord, now I understand that in context, I believe this is in fact referring to the second coming of Christ, that Christ will return one day and he will set up his earthly rule and reign on the earth. But until then, we are to endure, to run the race with endurance. Amen. Uh, but I also want, I think it's a twofold meaning because he gives us practical application uh, when he references the husbandman. Uh, I believe that the husbandman here is not only uh, teaching us a lesson on how that just as a farmer waits for his fruit, and it's always best to wait until that final rain before he br brings in the harvest so that it can be good and, and, and full of life and vibrant. 
he's, he's also saying that this is the, the posture of the Lord. Uh, the Lord is the husbandman of his vineyard. And, and more on that in just a minute. But the Bible said it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that's one of the reasons that he has not returned yet is because he has long patience waiting for the fruit of the earth. That is more souls to come into the kingdom of God. Does that make sense to you? If it does, say amen. So it says, brethren, it says to be patient under the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. And so if you look at our text that we read, if you counted them, verse 7 says be patient. Then it says wait. Then it says long patience. So just in verse 7 it mentions patience or waiting three times. Verse 8 says be also patient. Verse 10 says of patience. Then verse 11 says patience. There six times essentially you see this theme in just these five verses. Many times we get in too big a hurry while we're waiting on God. There are some people that are so frustrated with the way the world is going right now. They're so bent out of shape and waiting for Jesus to come and rescue us all. That instead of, uh, instead of patiently waiting for the Lord while serving they're patiently waiting for the Lord while doing nothing. They have dug into some spiritual bunker of sorts, and they have hidden themselves from society. They just want to be away from anything, uh, uh, see no evil, uh, hear no evil, do no evil. They, they try to segregate themselves completely from culture and society and just hold on and hold out till Jesus comes. But that's not the kind of waiting that we're instructed to practice. In fact, the word wait has two meanings to it. Waiting on the Lord implies serving Him like a waiter or a waitress, but it also means being patient for Him. So we serve Him while we wait for Him. Just because Christ is fixing to return doesn't mean that we're so close to the end that you might as well just hold on and do nothing until He shows up. But I see a lot of a trend today where it seems like people just kind of have this escapism mentality. And I do believe in the rapture. I do believe in the second coming of Christ. But I don't believe that that should be a motivation for us to just hang up the towel and say, Well, Jesus is coming soon, so it's not really going to make much of a difference anyway. After all, the Bible said that there would be a great falling away. And after all, preacher, it's just the way it's going to be. People just ain't going to come to church anymore. People just ain't going to get saved like they used to. And we'll mully grub and murmur and complain about no fruit and no results. But the real problem is that we have quit waiting that is serving the husbandman of the vineyard somebody shout amen if you agree with me and i want to talk to you for a few minutes about the question are you ripe for revival you know james also said in chapter one of verse four but let patience have her perfect work that means a maturing work that she may be perfect or mature and entire wanting nothing or lacking nothing so what are we waiting on? I, I want to look at that last phrase there where it says, uh, uh, Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it 
until he received the early and latter rain. Some Bible theologians uh, believe that you could uh, compare what the Lord did on the day of Pentecost as the early rain and that what he's going to do in these last days as the latter rain. I do not know if you subscribe to that kind of interpretation or not, uh, but I certainly do believe that there is some possibility there that in these last days there's a latter rain of his spirit being poured out on all flesh because uh, I know that uh, the Bible said that that uh, prophecy was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Uh, but let me remind you of something. The, end, the beginning of the end time started with the earthly ministry of Christ. It didn't just start in the last 50 to 100 years. It didn't just start whenever Israel was reformed as a nation. We have been in the end time since Jesus uh, uh, admonished his disciples to wait for him. And today we're just that much closer to the return of the Lord. But I do believe that God is doing a work in these last days. Uh, uh, do you remember the scripture where the Bible says, And at midnight a cry was made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Look at what's going on in the world right now. Do we not see more signs of his coming than we ever have in our entire lifetime? And have you not heard more preaching recently on the soon coming of the Lord than maybe you've ever heard in your lifetime? If you listen to any good preaching, and I believe you'll hear that recurring theme that Jesus is coming soon and that you need to repent and turn from your sin and turn to Christ before it's too late. And I believe we could hear what's being echoed through the halls of churches across this country and from pulpits. Any Bible-believing preacher is going to recur the theme that Jesus is coming and could it be I'm just asking the question could it be that we're in the midnight hour because they're crying behold the bridegroom cometh go ye out to meet him I personally believe that we're that close but before he comes he yearns for the blood of Christ to redeem as many as he bled and died for and it's not His will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So I believe when we talk about this latter rain, we could be talking easily and arguably about an end-time revival, amen, that God would want to send to His church. I personally don't believe that God plans to come back for a weaker church than what He started off with, amen. Uh, the Bible says that He's coming for a bride without spot, without wrinkle, and without blemish. God is going to purify His church. God is going to purge His church, amen. Uh, and so I want to say that what we're waiting on uh, is a reviving rain from heaven. Amen. I, I don't know about you, but while I'm waiting on the Lord to show up, I'm also praying that He'll send a heaven-sent, spirit-filled revival that'll change our church, that'll change our families, and that'll change our community, and that'll touch and change nations. Can somebody say amen? If you're in agreement with me, I believe that we are waiting on a reviving rain to come from heaven. I believe that revival can be simply described as a shower from heaven that yields a harvest for the Lord.
Think about that. A shower from heaven that yields a harvest for the Lord. And again, I ask you the question, are you ripe for revival? The Zechariah chapter 10 and verse 1 said, Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. There's your verse. Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain, so the Lord will make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to every one grass in the field. I believe that means that every blade of grass in the field. Amen. And the Bible teaches, compares us that life is like a vapor and we're just like a, a, a blade of grass that's here today and gone tomorrow and is as insignificant as that may make you feel. He says in the latter days he can give you a rain that'll water even you and even me. Even if we feel like we're just small and insignificant and numbered amongst so many that nobody would notice us. Maybe God wouldn't care. Let me tell you, God wants to pour out his spirit on all flesh. God wants to touch every one of his children and use them for his glory and for his honor. Amen, church? Ask you of the Lord. Rain. In the time of the latter rain, so the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to everyone, grass in the field. Amen. Now, I want to give you three things real quick. First, I want to say this. While we're waiting on God, God is also waiting on us. While we're waiting on God's arrival, God's waiting on our repentance. Let me say it again. While we're waiting on God to show up, God's waiting on us to repent. Because 2 Peter 3.9 illustrates this truth. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. You know what repentance is? That's a turn, a change of heart and mind. I said it before, and I'll say it again. Repentance is bigger than changing a habit. Anybody can change their habits temporarily. But you won't have a permanent change of nature till God does surgery on your heart. And the only way that you'll truly repent is not when you change a habit, but when you change your heart and your mind and your attitude about sin and turn from your sin specifically to Jesus Christ as your remedy. It's not even good enough to try to turn from your sin to self-help. Some people realize and acknowledge that they need to quit sinning and they try to turn from their sin, but they'll try to turn to anything or anybody but Jesus Christ. But to repent is not just to turn. It's not just to change your mind. It's to change your direction. Y'all pray for my voice. Change your direction. I may just have to preach this a little bit lower gear this morning. Can y'all handle that? Amen. He wants you to turn from walking towards your sin, make an about face 180 degrees, and walk to Jesus and come to Jesus. And while we're waiting on the Lord, not just as He waiting on 
sinners to repent. He's waiting on saints to repent. I mean, just, just face it today, the church is in a mess. I'm talking about as a whole, the churches are in a mess. I'm talking about churches today that claim the name of Christ. Amen. And really all they're doing is using and abusing His name for political advantage and for cliques and clubs and power structures and man-made institutions. And a lot of churches today, so-called, have gone so far from what the Word of God declares that they no longer even preach it. In fact, they'll either rewrite it or not even preach it at all. And they'll do exactly the opposite of what this book says. Now, friend, whenever you live in an apostate church age like we're living in today, it need not surprise you when church is completely making about face not in the right direction, but in the wrong direction. Because that's what apostasy is. It's walking away from truth. And so we have exactly the opposite a lot of times in our churches, in our pews, of what God requires. Instead of turning to truth, they're turning exactly away from it. And they're buying every excuse and every lie and every doctrine of devil that comes along to convince them that they're right and you're wrong. But friend, I'm telling you one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You may not bow today, but you will bow one day to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But then it would be too late. You better bow now while there's hope. You better bow now while there's a chance. And if you're saved in church but you're backslidden, it's time to get right with God. It's time to quit making excuses. It's time to quit blaming everybody else at the church that did you wrong. And it's time to start serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen, church. He's waiting on us to repent. Oh, somebody said maybe uh, when revival comes, I'll get right. But you missed the whole point. Amen. When you get right, that's when revival comes. Amen. Amen. Uh, we're not waiting on revival. Revival's waiting on us. Because God is so quick to forgive and to give grace and to give mercy that at a prayer's notice, at a whisper's notice, when you turn from Him, immediately He's on the scene. And our churches can have the glory of God back if we will just turn and repent. Verse 7 said, Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit. Precious fruit, precious fruit. Notice that if you, if you uh, look up this word fruit, it implies plucked fruit. Now, you don't pluck fruit until it is what? Until it is ripe. Amen. God's waiting on some ripe Christians. Amen. God is waiting on some ripe individuals. Amen. He's waiting on you. Oh, I have not seen and earth not heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for those that love him. If you only knew what God would do for you, if you just give it all to him, it would blow your mind. But why are we so long and stubborn at waiting and putting it off till tomorrow? God wants us to repent. This word right means to be brought to perfection and growth uh, or to the best state. It means mature. And listen to this definition. It means fit for use. Fit for use. I said 
earlier, while we're waiting on God, God is waiting on us. I want you to know something. God wants to use you. But he doesn't want to pluck you green. He wants you to be fit for the kingdom. Amen. He wants you to be fit for his service. And so many times what delays that process of being used of God is not that God is delaying his coming to us, but that we are delaying our coming to God. Because the Bible says if we will draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to us. Another way to put that is he'll meet you halfway. Amen. Uh, and I'll even go so far as to say this. If you can't go halfway but you can turn in your heart, he'll come all the way. He'll meet you where you're at. God wants you fit for use in his kingdom. But he's waiting on you. And uh, many today, uh, they, they, they want to... They want a spot or a position of influence in the church, but they don't want to pay the price that is required, the price of patience that produces maturity in their life. And it would do us all some good to learn how to let the Lord mold us and shape us and make us and prepare us and use us. And I tell you, when God gets ready to put you into position, He knows when you're ready and He knows when you're not ready. That's exactly right. Many a year did I serve uh, under another pastor. It was near about seven years uh, as a, an, an associate pastor. And boy, I wanted to pastor a church. Don't you know I did? <laughs> but you know what? God said, you're not ready. I had a pastor call me about midway through that season in my ministry. We were struggling financially. Surprise. <laughs> Amen. Uh, I mean, you got five kids. What you going to do? You're going to struggle, right? <laughs> Amen. Uh, and I got a call from a pastor in Tennessee. He said, we got a, a house. We got five bedrooms, three baths. We got a salary. All we need you to do is show up and start doing the, uh, the youth ministry. And boy, that sounded good to me. I was ready to go until I went to the prayer closet and I asked my Lord, what would you have me do? And he said, stay. And I had to turn down an opportunity because the Lord knew more than I knew. I wasn't ready to take on that job. Many times we get in a hurry. We're talking about waiting on the God, but we also get in a hurry, don't we? We want to rush things our way. But God knows when we're really ripe for the spot. Amen. And, and I don't pretend... Uh, or claim that I am mature enough to be trusted by God. Uh, I just know that He has counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry, but it's not my faithfulness, it's His faithfulness. Amen? It's His faithfulness. But I'll say this, if you want to be used of God, He wants to use you as bad as you want Him to use you, but He's waiting for you to be ripe for revival. That is fit for use, that is mature, that is ready, but how can we ask a faithful God to use an unfaithful people? One of the greatest signs of maturity for a Christian today is faithfulness. Faithfulness to the work of the Lord. Faithfulness to the, faithfulness to the smallest assignments. And people, people sweat the small stuff. They say, well, I, I, somebody else can do that. 
They don't want to, you know, they don't want to vacuum the carpets. They don't want to, uh, amen, be a door greeter. They don't want to clean the toilets, amen. But let me tell you something. Uh, David was on the backside of the desert, amen, uh, and he was tending the sheep, one of the lowliest uh, positions that you could have in that culture at that time. And God looked down at a shepherd boy that was faithful to his duties, and God promoted him to king because he was faithful. Never underestimate the significance of the smallest task of serving God. And it takes, it's a sign of maturity for someone to be faithful to their assignment as small and unrecognizable as it may seem to them. Because while nobody else may be noticing, there's a God in heaven paying close attention. And He wants to prepare you and He wants to use you and I say, if you're not doing anything for God, uh, do something for God. Even if it is cleaning the toilets. Amen. Uh, even if somebody's doing it, join in and help them. Amen. Uh, but God's wanting you to be, get fit to be used in a greater way. Uh, but He can't use you in the greater way till you're faithful in the small things. I'm talking about are you ripe for revival? I, I, I want to submit to you this idea that God is interested in sending our church a heaven-sent revival. God is interested. Why wouldn't he be? What would be the harm of leaving us without revival? I mean, don't you know he came to save sinners? Don't you know he came to heal the sick, uh, to cast out devils, to deliver people? Don't you know uh, that he came for his name to be glorified? Uh, that's what he's all about. Of course he wants to send us a revival. But who's he waiting on? He's waiting on us to repent. He's waiting on us to mature. So while we're waiting on him, he's waiting on us. But the second thing you need to know is it's not the other person's fault. I know this ain't alliterated, but it's what the Holy Ghost gave me. It's not the other person's fault. I know when we get to preaching about revival, there's some of us that automatically go to think, well, if so-and-so wouldn't run their mouth so much, we'd have a revival. Or so-and-so wouldn't do this, or so-and-so wouldn't do that, or if we didn't have this problem, if we didn't, and we have our list of reasons why the church ain't doing anything. And usually it's everybody else on the list but ourselves. <laughs> and God wants me to tell you that it's not the other person's fault. I'm in the text. Look at your verse, verse 9. Grudge not one against another. If you look up that word grudge, I know that's the King James translation. The original meaning of the, the, the uh, Greek word is to sigh or to murmur or to pray inaudibly with grief against someone. <laughs> Have you ever looked at somebody and just <sighs> rolled your eyes, sighed, and walked away? Uh-huh. <laughs> And uh, those are usually the kind of people that we blame for a church not being vibrant. When are we going to quit blaming it on the person that's so noticeably irritable and start blaming it on ourselves for not being able to be mature enough to overlook those things? Amen. If you was paying attention to your walk with God, you wouldn't notice that they was out of sorts so much. Grudge not one against another, brethren, unless you be condemned. He said, hey, Better be careful how you start judging your brothers because as soon as you do, the Holy Ghost is going to say, <clears throat> what about you? <laughs> amen. Y'all ever been there? Say amen with me. 
And uh, this is the kind of preaching we need to force us to look at ourselves in the mirror of God's Word and to consider ourselves lest we also be tempted. Amen. It's not the other person's fault. It's, uh, there's a little song, I can't sing it. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. It's not my brother, it's not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. Amen. It's not my daddy, not my mama, but it's me, oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. Can I say this? It's not my preacher, it's not my deacon, but it's me, oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. And for me, it's not my deacon board, it's not my church members, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. If every one of us took full responsibility for our own walk with God, so much pettiness would completely be eliminated from our churches. Pettiness, Leonard Ravenhill said this, we chase mice while lions devour the land. At the end of the day, the things we fuss about and get tripped up over don't make one eternal hill of difference whatsoever. It's just temporal. It's just selfish or petty. We got to look at the big picture. Why are we here? We're here to, we're, I mean, we're in an army for heaven's sake. We're not in a nursery. I mean, we can't just wear our feelings on our shoulders and quit at the first sign of trouble or at the first offense. Amen. Uh, our precious dear brother John says it all the time. Onward, Christian soldier. We are soldiers. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Amen, church. It's going to be tough sometimes. So let's remember that it's not the other person's fault that we're not having revival. While you're busy telling God why it's the other person's fault, God is bringing to your attention the matters of your heart that you have ignored or, or have been ignorant of or stubborn about. Amen. My last point. Here you go. Don't think this is going to be easy. <laughs> Look at verse 10 of our text. Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience there's going to be some suffering involved there's going to be some cost some personal sacrifice associated with serving God I've been thinking a lot lately about the man that found that field amen the Bible says the kingdom of God is like to a man that found a field and found a treasure in it then he went and sold everything that he had and went and bought that field with joy and here's my thought on that it's not going to cost you something to serve God. Brother Ron, it's going to cost you everything. Nothing is off the table for God if you really want to follow Him. Everything is His. Nothing is mine. And if you're His, nothing is yours. It's all up for grabs for our King and our Lord. And if He sends us into hostile territory to do an assignment, whether we come back successful or whether we bleed out and die, so be it. Because the Bible says, he that findeth his life shall lose it. But he that loseth his life for my sake in the gospel, the same shall find it. 
So don't think it's going to be easy. James 5.11 said, Behold, we count them happy which endure. We don't often equate the word endurance with happiness, do we? But I think it's not so much the uh, enjoying the pain as much as it is enjoying the results of the pain. Enjoying the consequences of serving God. Amen. The word endure means to bear the load with fortitude. But so many of us, we get under the load of ministry and it gets, we, we, get, we get broadsided, we, got, we, we get hit by something we didn't see coming, and we're so quick to just drop the load and to get out from under and say, well, that's for somebody else. I'm gone. See you, preacher. And the Bible says those who are happier, those who endure, those who bear the load with fortitude. If we are the hands and feet of Jesus, then where are our scars? Or have we tried to avoid being crucified? Have we tried to adapt to this uh, doctrine of devils called false prosperity gospel preaching that teaches us that the road to heaven should be easy and light? Or have we done what Jesus said to do is take up our cross and follow him? God would not ever, somebody once said, well, I don't go... uh, where I'm resented, I go where I'm celebrated. Well, bless your heart, sweet honey. If Jesus adopted your philosophy of ministry, he'd have never went to the cross. And we'd have never been redeemed. No, he'll send us sometimes right into the midst of adversity. Right up into the midst of hardship. That's why it's important for preachers. If there's any preachers listening to me this morning. Thou therefore endure heart. That's why it's important. You can't just run at the first sight of trouble. Stick it out. Tough it out. Until God's done with you, stand your ground and let God use you. Amen. God will fight your battles if you learn how to take your hands off of them. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be possible. You have heard of the patience of Job and have been seen the end of the Lord. What's that saying? I want to explain it to you real quick. The word end means goal, purpose, or aim. Amen. Uh, uh, you have seen the patience or heard the patience of Job, seen the end or the goal, purpose, and aim of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful or full of pity and, and of tender mercy. In other words, if you'll follow Job's story all the way to the end, what did God do for him? He brought restoration, didn't he? See, God's ultimate goal is to bless you, but there's a journey between here and there that's going to cost you something. And any church that wants to have an impact in their community and see God send a revival, it's going to cost us time in prayer. It's going to cost us uh, investing our time, treasure, and talents in the work of the Lord. It's going to cost us a commitment to an assignment or a job or a task or a calling. It's going to require faithfulness. It's going to require determination. And you can't just get discouraged because the numbers are low. And you can't get discouraged because somebody said something off color to you after church about your preacher. Amen. You can't get discouraged and think, oh, well, this ain't, I didn't think it would last. This was too sounded too good to be true. And look at it. It's done gone to pot. And the devil will fill you full of doubt and worry and anxiety and you'll quit and you'll give up on revival because the devil threw sand in your eyes and it's going to take some endurance and patience 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 
Deuteronomy 8.3 says, He humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know. And here's the reason He suffered you that he might make thee know that man doeth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doeth man live. What God did for his children there in the testing in the wilderness is he stripped them down to nothing but his word to teach them that his word was enough. And so many times we want to prop up God's word with our ideas and prop up God's word with our uh, mantras and our ideology and our suggestions and and at the end of the day our opinion is not what matters most it's the what the god said that matters most a lot of times we try to dazzle it up and we're like moses we god says speak to the rock and we hit the rock we put our little flair into it we put our little twist and of expression into it we think we're going to make it better than what god said and and moses forfeited the promised land personally because he did something different than what god told him because the word of god like unleavened bread doesn't need your fluff to make it work a lot of times all we have is fluffy christianity it's full of fluff full of uh, the leaven of the uh, scribes and pharisees Full of men's ideas and men's uh, promotions and, and, uh, and all these things that we try to do that we call church. But really Christianity is real basic. It's simply following Jesus. Loving God and loving each other. Amen? Don't think it's going to be easy. Sometimes God will send you on a forced fast. A season of lack deliberately to teach you how to find your source at his feet. I want to say this, you can't rush a move of God, but you sure can hold it back. When a church goes to praying like we have, God send revival, God reach the lost, there ain't no wonder we're getting fought on every angle. Amen. There ain't no wonder we're having so many hardships in the church. This is real spiritual warfare. It's a fight. And what God's looking for is some people that'll persevere. And some people that'll stick with it. Amen. And when you go down and you get back up again and dust your seat off and go on for God. Amen. We get it under the blood and keep moving. Don't let things sidestep you. Don't let things distract you. Don't let things pull you away from God's best and brightest purpose for your life. You just decide, ask for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. Uh, amen. And, and you sing the song, uh, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Are you ripe for revival? Are you fit and mature and ready? Look at our verse one more time. Verse 7 of our opening text. Behold, the husband waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it. Watch this. Until he receive, notice the word receive, the early and latter rain. Now, I'm closing with this thought. Imagine, if you will, uh, I assume this floor is made out of a concrete pad. Would I be correct? Okay. Imagine if you would, this church is gone, but the concrete pad is here, just open, exposed to the elements. Reckon you'd grow any grass or garden on that hard concrete? No, you wouldn't, would you? Because it's so hard that it can't, first of all, it's not soft, fertile soil. But secondly, 
the ground beneath can't receive the rain because there's a hardness, a layer of hardness over the top of it that keeps it from receiving the rain and producing fruit. Sometimes our hearts can be so hard. We can be so full of bitterness and anger and resentment that we, our hearts are like so hardened soil, like rocky soil that can't receive the water of God's Word. And the Bible's teaching us that, uh, that we are to receive the rain. What, what could the rain be better illustrated as in practical terminology for a church than the preaching of God's Word under the unction of the Spirit? Is not the Word of God typified as the water of life? When we preach the word, it's like rain from heaven when it's preached right, right? Are you with me so far? How can we then expect a harvest from God in our lives if we don't receive the rain from heaven in our hearts? And I'm talking about really receive it. I'm not talking about believe it. I'm not talking about say, amen, preacher. I agree with that. That's good preaching. It's like the old country preacher in the hills of Carolina that was preaching on, uh, uh, preaching on, uh, uh, oh, what's that scripture? It talked about uh, your, your body is uh, the temple of the Lord. Y'all, y'all remember that scripture? Huh? What does it say? You remember? There you go. Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says it for us not to defile the temple. He was preaching on not defiling the temple. And there was a cigarette smoker in the back of that tent meeting with that cigarette hanging out of his mouth. Preach it, preacher, preach it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he could shout with the best of them, but while he was doing it, he was destroying the temple. (laughs) Receiving the word is not agreeing with the word. It's allowing the word to get in you until it starts coming out of you. Are you porous enough to receive all that God has for you? And when the church can receive the word from heaven for the hour, one church service at a time, amen, one devotion at a time in your private walk, anytime the Holy Spirit speaks to you, whether it be through me or somebody else or just the Holy Spirit and you and God, anytime God speaks, are your, is your heart open and receptive to that word to the degree that you're willing to go through the necessary changes to let that word become real in your life and practical. If you are, then you're ripe for revival. If you're not, then you got some work to do. Amen. Are you ripe for revival? When we receive the showers of heaven's word for our parched souls, only then... Will there be a heaven-sent harvest? And I want to say this, and, and I want you to stand to your feet, and I want Joe to get ready to play a song of invitation on the piano. But there is no program that we can implement that will carry the kind of weight necessary for God to send revival if our hearts are not right with Him. What God is asking of us today is not our programs, though those can be good. And, and we try to implement some from time to time under the direction of the Holy Spirit. But at the end of the day, God doesn't want to pluck us green. And God's not going to use us to full capacity until we're ready. 
And we're not going to be ready till we receive the early and the latter rain of the Word of God in our hearts. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you, draw you to repentance. If you owe somebody an apology, I'd do it quickly. I wouldn't hold on. You may have held on to it for 30 years. Well, today's the day to make that right. You've been, you may have been holding a grudge. That, we preach about that grudge. Grudge not you one another. Maybe you're holding a grudge against somebody. And the Holy Spirit has dialed your number. You see, you think that by forgiving them, you're, putting, you're saying that what they did was okay. No, you're not saying what they did was okay. You're saying that what they did is no longer going to hold you back from receiving what God has for you. So as we bow our heads and close our eyes, you might need to come to this altar this morning and lay out before the presence of the Lord or kneel before the presence of the Lord and talk to him about some things that he's dealt with your heart about. And I want to invite you to do so at this time if that's you.